Welcome to another episode of the Houdat Jedi Podcast. This is episode 161, and we are recording on July 3rd. So for those of you who celebrate, happy 4th of July, or happy Treason Day. Um, Today, we <laughs> celebrate our Independence Day. You know... Um, well, and and if you're if you're Canadian, happy Canada Day from what yesterday or today? Mm-hmm. What, what yesterday. yesterday was Canada Day. Um, any other days going on? I don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, but we're going to hopefully get this recorded before anybody starts lighting off fireworks and my dog goes full Karen. Um, Luna doesn't. She just gets just mad at people who light off fireworks. So. Um, I used to, so were you guys um, big fireworks uh, aficionados at any point or still in your life? I like them. I mean, it, they're fun. Uh, I still remember like the best experience was being in Washington, D.C. for the uh, 4th of July, the Capitol 4th fireworks show. I mean, you talk about people spending money on gunpowder, the, the earth shakes. It's awesome. That's so, you know, that and then, of course, Disney World, you got to go to the fireworks show every night. You know, uh, I was talking more like, uh, like you know, purchasing fireworks and lighting them off in your front lawn and stuff like that. I like my fingers where they're at. Dave? We do some of that. Um, I think that's, I, I got to say, like, uh, I'm not enamored of the uh, public shows that are available in New Orleans. They're always idiots firing them off in their backyards uh three days ahead of time and three days later um which irritates me to no end but then like the actual shows on the day always underwhelm it's hard to park and you're fighting all these people and then your view isn't so good and the show's done and way too quickly and i don't like that so it's like okay we'll fire off some of our own stuff all right, so I've I've got uh, I'll, I'll I'll tell you my Fourth of July history here. First of all, growing up, um, one of the best friends of our family was the state fire marshal in Nebraska, and we always knew what was going to be illegal the next year based on his experience lighting fireworks with for his kids. Um, so. That was kind of like, oh man, don't let this happen to Wally because those are too fun, you know. But anyway, um, so in Nebraska, when I was, uh, uh, I, I suppose it was, I started more like uh, in the later '90s. Um, I was married, and like I said, I was in a band, and I would rat hole my gig money so that I could, you know, had my fireworks, you know, fund. And then my brother-in-law, of course, like I said, everything was pretty much illegal in Nebraska. At least anything good was illegal in Nebraska. So my brother-in-law and I would, you know, put on the Smokey and the Bandit theme and drive across the state lines to Missouri, load up on all the good stuff, bring it back. So I have a couple stories for you. First of all, there was one year we're at my in-laws and um, we had the garage just like it was my brother-in-law stockpile, my stockpile and his brother's stockpile. So, I mean, there was, it was an arsenal in this, uh, in this garage and we're sitting there, um, 
just sitting there in lawn chairs and each have a bottle of beer underneath our sitting next to us and we're lighting bottle rockets off across the street. Um, so we're breaking two like city ordinances because yes, New Orleans folks, not every place can you have, you know, open container beverages, just, you know, wherever. So anyway, and we're, we're lighting these things off, bottle rockets off. And one of my friends goes, uh Oh, and the other one starts moving his beer underneath his chair. And I said, what? Right. As I'm lighting a bottle rocket and my bottle rocket shoots right over the head of a motorcycle cop as he's driving by. <laughs> and he just, he just holds out his finger like Darth Vader, just, you know, and drives on. And we're like, okay, I think it's time to go inside for a bit. So fast forward a little bit. And, um, my wife and I were leaving school and, um, I'd, I'd gotten wind of who this motorcycle cop might've been. It was, it's a smaller town, Nebraska, but anyway, um, and <laughs> officer Gronwaller was, uh, our school resource officer filling in for, as our school resource officer. And Brittany and I were leaving school with officer Gronwaller. And I said, I got a question. Did, did somebody happen to shoot a bottle rocket over your head on the 4th of July? He goes, Yes, I think it did. I said, yeah, I think that was me. Well, I think it was too. <laughs> Just like, oh my God. I said, what's the statute of limitations of being a dumb A? And he's like, ah, you're just having a good time. Anyway, so another fireworks story. Now my in-laws live outside of town and out in the country. And uh, again, we're loaded up with all the bottle rockets and everything. And these, by the way, these bottle rockets that we would get as well, they had some that were pretty much just like artillery shells on a stick, you know, like not just the regular old firecracker bottle rockets, which are fun. That was the one that went over the cop's head. Um, this was, like I said, an artillery shell on a stick. And we, when we had PVC pipe dug in the ground and we're, so we're getting a good trajectory off. We're just sitting there lighting these things off. And I said, all right, it's time for one of the big ones. And so I, the big bottle rocket in the PVC pipe. Well, first of all, I have to tell you that across the road, about 7,500 yards away across the road is my in-laws neighbors. And they have a pen full of alpacas. And so, so uh, yeah, you see where this is going. So I put one of these heavy uh, bottle rockets in, the uh, PVC pipe and I light it. And as I light it, the tube drops a little bit. So the trajectory becomes a lot more shallow. And this thing just fires parallel, <laughs> parallel across the road and lands in front of this pen of alpacas. And it blows up. It was like Fallujah and alpacas are just going running all around. <laughs> and no alpacas were hurt. And we're like, oh my God, this could have been so bad. And I hand to God, this happened. One alpaca walked up the road until it got parallel with me and just stared at me. So, yeah, that was, I think, probably the last time that I did anything big with fireworks. Because then we came down here and you can't really do anything without setting the whole city on fire. So um, you don't want to do that. Yeah, that's that's not so good.
but I love fireworks. I love lighting them off. And now I'm just kind of like, I don't really want to, and we live in a community or we have a, you know, community right across street from us that are a bunch of, um, military veterans and a lot with, um, various, um, medical or emotional issues, things like that. And so it's like, if you got people dealing with PTSD, the last thing you need to be doing is lighting off artillery shells, you know? So anyway, that's my 4th of July stories. So no, no my thing is, no, no, my thing usually with, with 4th of July and New Year's Eve is I'm perfectly fine with you setting off enough fireworks, punch a hole in the sky, day off, go for it. It's the bleed through. It's the yeah. we're starting. We're starting June thirtieth, and we will not be done till July seventh. I'm like, okay, you you bought in, enough firepower, you know, enough uh, fireworks in order to uh, take over a small country. Cool, blow it all up on the fourth. Go for it. Go nuts. I hate the fact that it was going to be three days still, and people are saying only fire and all. So I'm like, okay, now you just, you know, I guess you know you can't stock it, you can't put it away, but same time it's like come on man you know i haven't i haven't heard any really around here so let's knock on wood too hot know. but too uh, hot yeah i suppose that's true um well anyway nobody came here to listen to fireworks but yeah that was my my favorite though and i'll if you if you follow me on facebook you might see a memory of the aftermath of the alpacas um i'll send you guys a picture so you can see it but yeah it was god it was hilarious I, I have some stories to share when I was younger and dumber, but I'll, I'll do that off the pod, off off air. Okay, well, if you want to, you can. I mean, I just shared mine, <laughs> so I mean, I about took out a motorcycle cop. So, um, all right. <laughs> well, let's do some Star Wars trivia. This is a Star Wars podcast, anyway. Um, all right, Dave. Since you were just talking. What two things, according to C-3PO's halting translation, are he and R2 bringing to Jabba? What two things, according to C-3PO's halting translation, are he and R2 bringing to Jabba? A message and a gift. Gift? What gift? Yep, that's correct. A message and a gift. All right. Very good. Fredo, to you, who claims I have brought peace and security to my new empire? Your new empire? Uh, that would be the one and only Anakin Skywalker. Although, would it be Lord Darth Vader at this point? They actually say in the card that you can have either Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader. Darth Vader. So, All right. Um, I don't know. There's probably some big nerd fight as to, you know who it actually mm -hmm. is, um, but not here. All right, and to me, who observes that Luke Skywalker has, quote, never expressed any unhappiness with his work? That's kind of funny, because um, it's uh, kind of linked to Dave's question. Who observes that Luke Skywalker has, quote, never expressed any unhappiness with his work? That would be C-3PO. By the way, I have to... I have to um, also share with our listeners one of the best memes you don't have to see the picture um, but I shared it within our uh, within our group um, and it says Darth Vader personally goes to Tanti 4 um, which is covered in spaceship to uh, to oversee the operation 
Darth Vader personally goes to Hoth, which is covered in snow, to oversee the operation. Darth Vader personally goes to Cloud City, which is covered in city, to oversee the operation. Darth Vader personally goes to the forest moon of Endor, which is covered in forest, to oversee the operation. Vader, she must have hidden the plans in the escape pod. Send a detachment down to retrieve them. Commander Praji, do you want me to prepare your ship so you can oversee the operation personally like you always do? Vader, of course not. That planet is covered in sand. I, both Imperials and Chorus, don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. We know, we know. I just think that was funny. So, anyway. Because it's also true. It's the one time he doesn't literally take charge and go finish the job himself. So, tonight's episode, um, we're going to... Um, talk mainly about we're actually going to go back into marvel land we're going to be talking about uh, the first two episodes of secret invasion um and i'll probably turn it into a little bit of a star wars discussion um but uh because i think it's kind of funny what marvel does and how if star wars could implement even a slightest bit of it and they might you know in the ahsoka stuff then they could solve everybody's problems um but uh and we're also going to talk about the uh, Mandalorian season three documentary that was oh so riveting. A little bit of a, a nuance there. So anyway, um, Fredo, do we have any really big news uh, this week? Not a lot, right? We're not, not news. Not news per se. I mean, holiday coming, strike happening. Uh, so no, but there is a big one rumor that they kind of let his ears to the ground kind of brought up, which is true. It's uh, There's a rumor surfacing that Lucasfilm, uh, along with Daisy Ridley, are trying to get John Boyega to return to his role as Finn for the upcoming New Jedi Order movie that Charmin Novai Chinoid is directing. So while they made a commitment at Celebration to explore new characters, they're hoping maybe to bring it back to kind of, you know, expand on his character not leave him kind of where they left him off at the end of uh rise of skywalker so make uh for right for right now rumor he hasn't signed anything he hasn't even committed to anything so make we'll see. make finn the the bad guy oh geez yeah oh, you, you, no. you, you screwed me over type of a deal you know because then you can actually don't let him don't let him like kill his parents or anything like this but then you can give him like a total redemption arc you know um but anyway, um, no. <laughs> I, I, like okay, so like we all know the reason that he's upset or, or was upset and talked about not coming back, and it was because of how his character was handled. And there are rumblings that he's more at peace with that now. We'll see if that's actually the case or not. But part of that was, you know, how is his character handled? He wasn't given the opportunity to be a Jedi for, you know, representation reasons and for probably personal reasons, he would have loved to have been a Jedi. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's just turn him into a bad guy. <laughs> well, well, but what I'm saying is that you could actually, you know, or make him like a, a, you know, a disillusioned, I mean, you know, or here's my thing okay so take i understand what you just said take out but let's let's say that never happened just for example okay let's let's get in the delorean and that never happened um if you have 
Ray and Finn, it, it becomes like the it kind it kind of seems like the uh, I don't know there there has to be if if they're just like everything's hunky dory and we're two you know two Jedi without any sort of you know problem between us it just is it interesting you know it's kind of like Luke Skywalker in the Last Jedi which Last Jedi was on the other day. And I watched a little bit of it and I found myself thinking again, this is the absolute right thing that they did with Luke Skywalker. Um, because if Luke Skywalker would have come back in the last Jedi and been like, you know, superhero Luke, it would have not been an interesting story at all. So given what has happened, couldn't you have Finn, not necessarily evil, but kind of like an fu Jedi type of, you know, or like, you know, I've got my powers, you, you know, you, you blew me off on training could kind of parallel a little bit to what happened with Lucasfilm. And then you give him a redemptive arc and he's like the ends up being the hero of the whole thing. Be interesting. Uh, it'd, it'd be, I mean, it'd be an interesting um, uh, way to take his character because on the one hand, he was never outside of you know, Force Awakens. You know, when he got the lightsaber, uh, he really wasn't ever earmarked for Jedi beyond that movie. You know, Last Jedi had him running around with Rose. Uh, Black Skywalker made a point of pointing at him at something to tell Ray, but never came out of nothing. I guess assuming his Jedi powers to find out which Star Destroyer has the command beacon or whatever. So there's a way you could kind of bring it along. I mean, and might make it interesting. I just wonder if, if he'd sign up for that, if that's what he'd be interested in after everything has going to look. It's going to take a lot of work, even even if the hatches are buried. Uh, it's going to take a lot of work to convince and it would, to it, would, it would have to be, here's the, here is the plan for your character. I guess my, my point, let's just, let's just the overall thing. I'm just saying, if I was writing, I think it would be very difficult difficult it'd be it'd be easy if i had one of them if it was just mm -hmm. finn or just daisy or just poe but when you then have the two of them it's like okay what can i do interesting beyond you know a love story you know what i mean it's like you know mm -hmm. then of course even luke or you know even you know i understand that you had padawan and master you know and so maybe that is a possibility and that creates a little bit of that rhyming conflict between, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know. I just think it would be, I just think it would be difficult to, um, and I, to, to just write that story because I'm not a writer. I'm at least that kind of writer, but anyway. You know what I would be down for would be an uh, ideological difference of opinion. Uh, they're both fully formed, fully capable um, Jedi warriors um, who don't agree on the direction that they should be going with things. And there's a rift. And I'd be cool with that, something along those lines. I think that'd be cool. And so let me let me ask you this. Um, mm -hmm. This uh, that creates it even because when I when I said make him evil and you looked at me like oh god Aaron you know that's just is like the worst idea ever which I get get your point as to why but now so you're you're telling me let's have Ray who was the first female 
you know, you know, well, and, and Daisy Ridley who caught a lot of crap for the whole Mary Sue and everything like that. And then, so she's disenfranchised and then, you know, and all these things. And then you have Finn who, or I'm sorry, John Boyega, who, you know, with his issues with how his character was developed. And now you're going to say you're going to make them equal. Does that, does that take anything away from Ray's story? If all of a sudden it's like, now they're on, they're just, they're just equal, you know? Um, or if you say that one is lesser than the other, does that, I'm just saying this is kind of an interesting situation. I think most people think that rise of Skywalker was a significant misstep. Um, so I wouldn't think anything in there is sacrosanct and including her being a powerful descendant of Sheev. Um, you know, like, okay, she's a descendant of Sheev in some way. That doesn't mean she's more powerful than anyone else, especially after, you know, 10, 15 years of training or what have you. So, um, like, and again, like, it doesn't have to be like, I say on equal footing, that doesn't mean they're like equal, equal, but they are contemporaries. They're people who, who are, you know, they're coworkers for lack of a better term, yeah. you know, these people that work together. Oh, but you're right. Um, the ideal, the ideological, you know, differences, I, that, that would be a good, you know, civil war, you know, like yeah. having America civil war kind of a thing. Like I I'd be down for something like that. Cause at least it's a little different. Um, I don't want to, I just, Oh, we're going to get an evil Padawan again. Okay. It's Star it's... Wars. We're going to get something again. I'm sorry. It all kinds of rhymes. It all, always kind of rhymes. Um, by the way, because you said Civil War, um, I saw this is how slow news is um, as far as in my <laughs> um, nerd feeds. But uh, they listed um, the Hogwarts houses for um, each of the original Avengers. And they had Tony Stark, Iron Man, as being in Gryffindor. No. Yeah, totally disagree with that. No, no, no. Totally disagree with that. I mean, Captain America was Gryffindor. That makes sense. Thor was, but, um, but uh, yeah, Tony Stark, nah. I mean, I could see Tony Stark as being in Ravenclaw because of his inventiveness, but I could also see him being a Slytherin because of his ego. It's like anyway, mm. sorry the the nerd things that you know, come up and like I brought that up to Britt in the car yesterday and she's like no 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 <laughs> so anyway um, I, I mean I think it'd be I I would I would hope that they would um, actually bring if they could um, Oscar Isaac um, because we did not get enough of the trio. Um, I mean, I'll take what they what they give us. So, um, yeah. Well, and I, and I just you know, just because it'd be interesting to because you're right. The few moments, particularly Rise of Skywalker, where things kind of feel like Star Wars, it's when the three of them are bantering and going at one another. This uh, episode seven didn't bring them together, or you know, neither did episode eight. Episode nine is really the one time they're all together. They actually feel like a team. So. You know, I guess uh, I guess my thing is, yeah. is I would I mean Star Wars has recently the tendency to put things and people into movies just because not really to serve the story 
you know, if, if you mm-hmm. have a story to tell that involves all three of them, awesome. If Poe doesn't need to be involved, perfect, fine. Don't just shoehorn him in, you know, right. um, just cause. And Star Wars mm-hmm. tends to do that recently. Lucasfilms tends to do that. I'll just leave it that way because I was telling Dave I went to see Indiana Jones and the Dial Yeah, we Testament. saw it too. So, yeah. Uh, so, you, so you know what I'm talking about, true warning. It's, uh, yeah, I, I told Dave on Saturday, it's, uh, for me, I want to see it again. Britt really enjoyed it. It, it was fun. Mm-hmm. And it, it was yeah. fun. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I want to see it again. It was, yeah. So, so yeah, for, for me, it was, it's, uh, I saw it as a matinee, and I think, that's probably what it works best. Uh, you know, it's not one that you absolutely must you know. Like, it's not must see. Like, it's not. I'm not gonna rave about it the way I will rave all day long about Across the Spider Verse or Guardians of the Galaxy Three. But it, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't. You know, it's way better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I know, you know, damning with faint praise. Uh, but also, it's a good send off. And but I, I know, I just the one thing I was telling Dave was like, you know, before I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like it's surprising how 1981, outside of a few composite shots, most of it is practical effects stunt work. And in this one, you cannot escape CGI. Yep. No. I, I, um, once Dave sees it, we'll talk about it. Um, so it may not be soon. <laughs> um, well, I tell you what. Let's, okay, uh, we'll, we'll have we'll have topics. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the because um, just uh, was like about a week ago um, the Mandalorian season three gallery um, mm-hmm. episode I suppose dropped on Disney Plus and I get really excited about documentaries I love documentaries about all I love to see behind the scenes stuff and hear stories about it um, and here's my hot take the first one they did for season well the the way they did it for season one was awesome loved it loved the round tables um they kind of continued that for season two a little bit but fewer episodes i believe this one didn't tell me anything i didn't know from watching the show not even just because i read star wars news and everything like that this was just kind of yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They, they were, it was enjoyable, they were, but it was, yeah. it, it seemed like it, you know, it, it seemed dialed in. Or, there were fo- a few or phoned in. Kinda, yeah. There are a few moments kind of where the personalities of the directors and the cast kind of come through. Like, I love the, you know, when Carl uh, Weathers is talking about his episode and how he's having to bring to life the moment where we see how Grogu gets out of the Jedi Temple, the idea of bringing Kellen back. I really like that. I like the fact that Bryce Ellis Howard is leading into sort of the silliness of her episode and you know, having Lizzo and Jack Black, which we still remember that was a very controversial the way it was received episode. Uh, and then just kind of like giving us some of the ideas about how John and I love, I love the fact that both Don Favreau and Dave Filoni are up front that it, this isn't just their baby. This is just them standing over everybody. It's like, no, it's a team effort. It's a group effort between themselves, Rick Pomeriwa, Bryce Dallas Howard, 
uh, the other directors they brought on board. And the other thing that kind of stuck with me was, uh, shoot, what's the name of, uh, the director of Minari, who directed uh, the episode, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, who directed the episode where uh, the doctor is uh, on Coruscant and we're following his story. And it's like how he basically got told, hey, uh, we, yes, you're making a Star Wars episode, but uh, an episode on Star Wars, but what other movie or film, yeah, yeah, film thing do you want to lean into? And they said Hitchcock. So, yeah, okay, and I'll, I'll let Dave talk in a second, but the problem is Fredo, and I, I yeah, I, I agree with you that it was like, okay, cool, Hitchcock, awesome. But then they just let it drop like a hot rock. Mm -hmm. It This was like a seventh grader giving a book report. It was like, then this happened, and then in this hap episode, this happened, and then in this episode, this happened. And it's like, you just start talking about something interesting, and we're moving on to something else. And it's like, what I would, you know, spend a little bit more time talking to me talk to me why did you choose hitchcock why you know, what about it you know what you know you know there was i was really looking forward to like getting some sort of backstory on why the pershing stuff was in there in the first place you know or you know something from dave and john about that but it was just like we were there for about a minute and a half and then moving on um, and that's it. That's the way this whole thing seemed like it was like, and then this happened, then this happened. Now I get it in the first, um, in the first, uh, first one, uh, there had to deal, talk about their, um, dealing with the volume and all this new technology. I get that, but I don't know. I don't know. Dave, what'd you think about this? I liked it. Um, I, I liked the show and i'm kind of with you i like the behind the scenes film making aspect of, of these sorts of documentaries in general um i i even like movies about making movies um that are fictional um so this, this is in my wheelhouse um and i liked it um i think that what it did for me it was good I like the way that they released this. They released this several weeks after the series has already completed. Um, several months in this case. Um, and so for me, it was very much like, oh, I'm revisiting this thing that I enjoyed at the time. And, oh, it was really nice to go back to it. And actually, a lot of my thoughts on the show were sort of jumbled up um like originally i had been very adamant that this was the third best season of the mandalorian by a uh, significant margin um i think i'm still in that camp but seeing some of this stuff and some of the thought processes that went into these decisions made me appreciate them a little bit more maybe than i did in real time now, to, to, to your point, Aaron, and I think maybe this is where uh, Disney may have to rethink this, because well, when I went to click on it and I saw season one, if you remember, was split up along eight episodes, smaller in length, but focused on, hey, one was on the story, one was on the puppetry, one was on the volume. So I think maybe if they had done that instead of 
okay, and then we did episode two, and then we did episode three. Maybe it would have flowed better, like if they had thematically split it up and rather give you an hour, give you, I don't know, six vignettes of 10 minutes where you focus on the story. Well, that, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up, I'm sorry, I interrupt you. I'm pulling up Disney Plus because the first, the first season was not six episodes, 10 minutes each. They were quite sizable. Um, there were six it, different it, episodes. It, it was but broken up into segments, though. Like, it, correct, uh, correct. But I'm yeah. saying that they put in a lot more time in that first, the first two, ep, you know, versions of this. Um, I guess the question, though, that he poses is, would that have helped if it had been um, put together structurally different? Well, no, I I agree. I agree with that. But what I feel like is that let's see, so. This one, twenty to forty minutes. Was, twenty to forty minutes. This 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 first season or this season three was right at an hour. Um, yeah, in season one you have an average of about thirty minutes each, and you had eight episodes, so you got a lot of stuff. So it's like watching Empire Dreams or watching, you know, a you know thirty minute special on you know, reels, you know, that's, that's my thing is like, if it, I guess uh, it just, I don't know. I just felt kind of a little slighted, I guess, you know, in season two, they had two episodes and it was an hour and eight minutes for the first one and 41 for the second. And then for season three, you get just an hour. Now maybe there's more coming. I don't know. We haven't heard. But it seems like they were done talking um, with that one. So, um, right, because the other thing was uh, season two, they gave us the normal. Well, they gave us what they gave us this time, but then they gave us another forty-minute episode focusing just on the finale, on uh, on the technology to bring Luke Skywalker to the Mandalorian. So I don't know, man. I mean, just it's it yeah it's it's like you know i always whenever i bought a dvd i was always excited for the extra features and stuff like that and it's like sometimes you hit gold with you know behind the scenes stuff and then it's just like then you get one where they just we have to do behind the scenes stuff so here's your your gag reel or whatever um so i just i think they could have done they could have done more i don't think they wanted to so and, and sometimes the difficulty there is is how much more you generate uh, when you're talking about all this stuff because there's there's a cost to it, there's a timing and an effort. So how much interest does Disney have to look? We put something else to be fun and let that be that. I think too the um, what I what I appreciate about the shorter format um, here is that. Um, I got a little bit more of a um, an idea of the scope of the season. Um, instead of just, we're going to look at this technical aspect for 30 minutes. We're going to blow through everything super fast. But it acted as a refresher for me. And I was able to kind of see the bigger picture a little bit better 
Um, and I think that, that was helpful, at least for me personally. And I, yeah, we're still kind of on the fence about how well planned out all of this was story-wise. Um, but I do think like there, there were at least certain acknowledgements that I appreciated, such as we're going to Mandalore. We know we have to go to Mandalore. We're going to tell this story about Mandalore. And I at least appreciated hearing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, okay, it wasn't just an accident. And um, I'm not saying that the stuff that they gave was bad. It's just, they could, I mean, it's like, it's like somebody forgot to ask Dave Filoni the follow-up question. You know what I mean? It was like, I agree with you. It was like, that was a great statement from him and all these things, but it was just like, you know, push the thing to, to two hours and go a little bit more in depth on these stories. There's, you know, cause not everybody watched the clone wars. And so they might not know everything about Bo-Katan and, you know, I don't know. It just, like I said, it was just, it's, it felt, it felt very um, easy. It felt very just, you know, surface level stuff. So, um, and like I said, I, especially it, and it, it digs at me because I'm, like I said, I, I'm a documentary, you know, behind the scenes, just, I will watch those before I'll watch the movie on the DVD, just because that's the, I've seen the movie before. Now I want to, I want to see what, went into making it and it's like you know i just felt like eh, okay and especially the like I said the one episode on coruscant it was kind of cool that doug chang was like you know we actually got to you know we we designed all this stuff in the prequels but we never got to show it it's like oh tell me more about that and then they just moved on to something that was the episode that had everybody scratching their head of like why did we have this episode and they I think they spent the least amount of time on it. <laughs> so, um, like I said, that's, that's, it's fine. It was just a letdown for me. So. Yes. Just for me, uh, it's, it was all right. Like it was a good hour well spent. Just, uh, you know, it's interesting getting behind the scenes and kind of just the thinking that the readers are having, but you're right in terms of any more, yeah, this is this felt less like they're trying, like they're trying to hold some cards close to them, which yeah, you know, you know, they know, they know, they know that their sword's got to go somewhere. Now, kind of related to this, there has been an article. Isn't really, I mean, it's kind of news, but um, there's been an article past or several articles based on this one quote from Dave Filoni recently, where he said. The Mandalorian Mando Din Djarin was never meant to be um, the only the guy, you know. So this whole podcast is about expectations, you know. And so when you see the Mandalorian, you think, okay, this is the guy that's going to be, you know, what I guess he said what the Aragorn, um, you know. It's like, nope, he's not. And that's interesting that Dave Filoni came out and said that and if he would have said that earlier would that have diminished people's interest in the show i wonder um and how is that going to affect people's i guess relationship with din Djarin going forward if you know he's not going to be the top guy you know 
you know what I mean? It's just kind of interesting that Dave, that Dave Filoni came out and said this. Um, and I wonder how that's going to affect people's viewing of the show. You know, one fun, another fun nugget to come out of this was, um, that it was baby Yoda was John's idea. And I think I knew that, but they actually elaborated on that. And Filoni almost dropped an F bomb too. He's like, okay, if we're going to do this, we can't mess it up. I mean, he paused. It was just like, so because he knew that Yoda, I guess was one of George's favorite characters and he didn't want to like mess with that. And John's like, no, we're doing this. <laughs> Which was the right call. Yeah. And, you know, okay. So now another another article that passed my uh, feed the other day um, said Kathleen Kennedy says that it's time for Star Wars to move past George Lucas. That's an interesting point as well. Maybe John Favreau is saying that. It's like, okay, thank you, George. Now enjoy your billions in retirement and we're going to take it from here um and i think that's it's it's it has to it has to um you can be respectful to the origins and you can be consistent with the origins but you can't you know you can't do exactly what george lucas would have done you know for all eternity and we see it with with other uh famous big properties. Uh, there was a point where uh, the people who made the James Bond movies moved beyond Ian Fleming. There was a point where Star Trek had to move beyond Gene Roddenberry. And you know, the, the advantage here is George Lucas is still alive. So you can touch upon them and go ask, go to the Grand Poobah and say, hey, does this fly? But in an instance, it's better if you don't. It's better if you start going, this is the story we want to go with. or you know the various movies that we are coming out, branching out in different ways. You know that's that maybe in the plot run the better way to go about it because you can say this is Star Wars and this is Star Wars and this is Star Wars, and it's not just there's one. It's not a monolith. Anyway, all right. Well, that was the Mandalorian gallery. Um, let's uh, let's now t- get into Marvel Land. Um, and just a very, like we've got two episodes in, I guess the, the third one's coming out tomorrow. Um, secret mm-hmm. invasion, um, just very quickly. How are you enjoying it? Two episodes in. I like it. Um, you know, the, we, I, I think we briefly touched on this before, but I think it's got a lot of that, uh, old man Logan thing going on there. It's got, the you know, the, this idea of aging out of your prime and then having to figure out a way to get it back because you're in a life or death situation scenario. I think they mine the, an appropriate amount of tension from that. Um, it's really uh, Samuel L. Jackson's at the top of his game here. Um, it, I mean, all, pretty much all the performers in this have been enjoyable. It, again, like I, you Aaron, you mentioned this, I think, last week when it was like um, when the actors are at a certain level, it feels almost film-like rather mm-hmm. than like a television show. And, and that's what we're getting. There's a level of professionalism and talent on display uh, that 
keeps you coming back. You really and it helps enjoy elevate everybody them. else's performance as well. Yeah. But. Yeah. I mean, like there's some lighter weights uh, that are that are a part of the ensemble that, you know, again, they get they get elevated. The material itself gets elevated um, because like there's not so far again we're early but not a lot has gone on i mean you have the global earth-shaking consequences of one act um but beyond that there's not been a lot of action or um cause for like needing special effects etc um it's mostly been the uh the the more of the uh, spy game uh rather than the war games so um it's been good. It's been entertaining. I've enjoyed it. Um, I'm interested in seeing more. Yeah, just off the top, I wanted to uh, make name check Cal Bradstreet, who's the creator slash showrunner. If you never saw his claim to fame, his greatest show called Mr. Robot, uh, which was uh, famous for dealing with technology, uh, uh, dealing with uh, conspiracy theories dealing with uh, secret agencies and, you know, a lot of backstabbing, a lot, of, a lot of stuff that makes sense that you would hire him to do this show, which is what I'm liking, because the, the first vibe that I got, which I think they've even referenced it in the interviews, is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I mean, the one with, uh, what's his name, um, from the 70s, uh, that one. And it's because it's very much that element of you don't know if you can trust the person standing next to you to not be a scroll. And even when you know if it's a scroll, is it a scroll that's a good scroll? Is it a scroll that's a, a scroll trying to take over the planet? Uh, I like the fact that at the start, they're focusing on Nick Fury, on the problems that got caused by the blip. One of the more interesting aspects that I'm loving about Marvel right now is that particularly in the, uh, in the TV side of things, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, uh, or Falcon Winter Soldier, uh, the Secret Invasion, uh, the Spider-Man movies, particularly after uh, the second and third, they were focusing on the post-blip world. They're not just saying, they're recognizing that this was such a heavy event that it can't just simply say, oh, this is last week's thing and we're moving on. Because you know, they've allowed some of their storylines to move right forward, but they're still in, they're showing the impact that it's had on the normal people who live in the Marvel universe. And the fact of the matter is, is uh, Nick Fury's actions for five years totally derailed his plans for the scrolls. And now they've decided, some of them have decided anyway, that they're going to take over the earth. And that creates its own set of conflict because it's not just, well, an evil alien race is going to take over the planet, which we've seen that story. It's some members are there, but like even even the the, the final reveal of uh, Nick Fury's better half at the end of the second episode was like, whoa, wait a minute, how long have you been? Has this been kind of hidden from us? So it's intriguing. That, okay, it's so that <clears throat> that brings me to my point. Uh, first of all, mm -hmm. loving it. Um, first two episodes were really into it. What I like is that um, there there's no way that you can even try to get, you know, five minutes ahead of the show because any person could be a shapeshifter could be a scroll so that's my point okay so you said oh, nick fury's got a wife 
you know, um, and that's what I was saying up front. It was like, okay, if Star Wars was to um, introduce time travel and hold on to the shapeshifters like they tried to, you know, um, introduce in Attack of the Clones, then you could retcon anything you want. And this is not a criticism of the MCU, but it just, you know, it adds nuance if you want to. It's like I've seen people saying, you know, maybe Rhodey is a scroll. And it's like, so then does that just inherently then add, you know, change a line, you know, from a previous movie gives it gives it a little bit more nuance, a little bit of different meaning. Um, you know, was, you know, was that actually Nick Fury in, you know, name a movie? Or was it Talos who was, you know, posing as Nick Fury? You know, I mean, there's so many things now they could just just decide. And I think that is really, really interesting when you and again, Ahsoka could do that by if they dive into the world between worlds, which sounds like they're going to, then you can start fixing little things. And is that I mean, I know this is all based out of the comic books. Secret Invasion is from the comic book and we, you know, but is, could that be in, you know, people's brains that we have these tools that we can now tweak or fix or change? Well, yes. (laughs) And do you think they're doing it intentionally or do you, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got to be careful with that because, like, on some level, you're like, yes, you, you, they absolutely have the ability to do that. But if you do it too often, people begin to feel betrayed. Um, like, why have I invested in 30 movies or whatever when you're going to tell me that it was bull? Well, um, but, you know, with, with MCU, it's interesting because they've got everybody buying into it when we're talking about multiverse and we're talking about time travel. And nobody's really complaining about either one of those. And so you can just say, and now we've got scrolls. So now you can just, you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. They've, they've hooked the audience. So you're not going to get the audience blowback. Star Wars would be a different deal. You need to, that's where I think they need to tread lightly if they're going to do it, because otherwise it will seem totally goofy, but yeah, keep going. Well, I mean, I'm, Personally, I'm down for whatever uh, because I don't like the multiverse stuff and I don't like the direction that they're taking right now um, in a global sense. I, I'm, I'm less invested or interested in, in the MCU at large. Um, so, yeah, hit the reset button for all I care. Um, go, go ahead and tell me the last you know, three years have been like subterfuge and, and, and tainted in some way. I'd be down for that. It's like, okay, all right. Now we hit the reset button and I'll be back in. Cool. Um, I'm not sure everyone else feels the same way. Um, but again, you got, you, you do have to limit yourself. You got to be careful about how you do these things. Because again, if like, if you undo something, are you going to undo the undo eventually? You know, like you, you start playing this game and and people will have a hard time keeping up eventually. 
Now, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know something, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about somebody who died. So turn off now and we'll see you next week. All right. There's enough time there. Um, did you see Maria Hill's death coming? Yes. You did. Well, I figure there had to be a key member of Fury's team dying. And I thought, well, you know, we've seen Ben Mendelsohn, Halos, on all doing all these interviews and being awesome. Uh, and I didn't think it was going to be somebody like Rhodey or Gaia or somebody like that. So I thought that the, it was either going to be Everett Ross, who the, at the pilot episode shows, hey, that, that may have been a scroll. And then I thought, no, it's got to be somebody who's the only person you could hurt that would hurt Nick Fury would be Maria Hill. And and that is the the other thing is that, and Dave, to your point, you know, are you going to undo the undo or, you know, so now you've, you've put it out there that whoever we saw in the first episode, I mean, Everett Ross, Scroll, Right. Was that character always, are we to interpret that that character was always a scroll from the first time that we saw him in whatever it was, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Not Falcon and Winter Soldier, but... Um, uh, Civil War. Civil War. You know, so every movie that he's been in is a scroll? Or, and so so they have, they have the obligation to, if you're going to do that, you have to then explain it to us and make it kind of or you know clear cut i suppose um or more clear cut anyway yeah. because like again there's like two large um possibilities of that when, when you see that like like in the, that's a perfect example ross is a scroll okay was he replaced in that moment in that time in that place for the specific reason of trying to gain that person's trust and gain information, was it a subterfuge play or was it a long play wherein this guy was pretending to be like Ross, like you said, for years and years and years and years, and there was no such thing as a Ross. Um, yeah, you need, you need to be able to find that out at some point because <laughs> it paints the, like the Black Panther pictures in a completely different light. Um, and, and, and cause he was such a key figure in those. And so now like, wait, what are we, it was an alien the whole time. And what was his game angle and all of this? And what are we doing here? I feel, like, I feel uh, like we're, we're coming up on like the, um, you know, kind of the scene from the first mission impossible movie where, you know, oh, yeah. you go <laughs> the mask, well, no, not the map, but I'm saying <laughs> it's like, you know, they went through the whole party and then he's, you know, finding out exactly what happened. You're getting flashbacks to the party and you're realizing that this person, it was the person we saw in the alleyway. And this person, it, it's, there's, there's going to be that coming up where it's like, you know, showing us the things that we quote unquote missed. I don't know. Um, Oh, so just right quick, and not not to belabor the point, but to kind of push back a little bit. My one concern is you can pull that trick once. It's a trick card. You can pull that, oh, so-and-so you thought was a real person or a character you knew. No, it's a scroll all along. It's much the same way as the uh, uh, the Flashpoint uh, or what you saw in the DC movie, The Flash, the idea of going back in time and rewriting history or whatever. 
comic books are famous for having done it a number of times. It's like you can pull that trick once, any more than that, and the audience loses its connection to the characters because you can always rewrite that that character death was not a real the character you love. It was a scroll. But or you can write that that villain was a scroll. And again, you could do it once I, or you could do it in small doses. You can't pull that trick too often. Or totally, under, checks out. totally understand what you're saying. And I agree with you about 98%. But don't they, haven't they given themselves the opportunity to play that card more when they've said there are a million scrolls, you know, so it's it's not like there's five so you can play that card once but if you got if you know a million you know there was a million and then they apparently they you know they live longer much longer than than humans so there could potentially be more of them because you know they've been on the planet for a while so they got things to do you know so maybe they're making other scrolls but you know what I mean? It's like they can play this card now. You know, maybe this this series is that playing of one card, but it just has a bunch of different players. I don't know. Since since the scrolls have been here since the early nineties, I can't wait for them to be revealed that the Spice Girls were all scrolls. Yeah, right. There you go. In sync, Backstreet Boys, yeah. Exactly. Um, all the boy bands of the nineties, they were all scrolls. You know, it and it it's the one thing that it's like, um, like I said, I'm enjoying the the series so far, but it seems like it could get very confusing very quick. And, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, but they, they pulled it off with WandaVision where that was kind of like, what the heck you doing? You know, it's like, it's funny. It's like, you would think that I would have more faith in, you know, some of these, some of these writers, but they, I, I think they're, uh, this is just one of those things where, like I said, it could become a huge mess. No, no, John, not to, uh, be negative about it, but what do you think about the main villain that we're supposed to be working against Gravit? Uh, so far, I mean, like the characters with personality, like Olivia Coleman's character, I'm loving her. Her torture scene was half horrifying, half hilarious. Oh, yeah, uh, that was great. Yes, and, and the fact that she's as smart and as capable as Nick Fury, and you know, she's she's the only one getting out alive. But I'm finding that maybe again, it's kind of like we were talking about uh, that the main back of the guy, the young scroll kid that heard Nick Fury make that promise, and now it's like, well, you didn't keep your promise, now I'm gonna take over your world. I don't know, maybe I'm not connecting with him yet, Seems just a little yet. Weak sauce for you know. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Like, okay, he's holding a lot of anger. He's, he saw his parents get killed by the Kree, pilot of Starfleet Earth, and he's been promised stuff and it hasn't happened. So, dang it, now we'll destroy this. It's like, I don't know. I mean, they've done, you know, the second episode showed that they've done a good job of taking over the global leadership uh, council. Well, if I, if I understand them correctly, actually, I think it's Screen Crush. Um, they're talking, um, their, um, hypothesis is that actually it's Talos is the big baddie and that this guy that the, the scroll kid, you know, who's mad at Nick Fury is just kind of, kind of, kind of the pawn 
it's kind of the figurehead type of the thing, but it's Talos that's pulling all the strings and calling all the shots, um, which that then throws it throws your whole world upside down. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to assume that the like you said uh, the world being thrown upside down. I think like we're gonna have that happen yeah. probably a couple more times uh, over the course of the show because again they have the freedom to do that why would you not do that when this is the kind of story that you're telling to begin with um i i i expect them to do that where at least a couple of times during the course of the show where i'm like whoa they did that you know um but that particular theory i don't know maybe i don't know i guess i mean put it this way kind of show given again the creator the themes, the the story that we're getting, you can almost bet that there will be at least one, if not multiple, double crossings. Like you probably have a double crossing every episode if you really want to lean into it. I just think that uh, it's going to be interesting to see because at some point you got to give the audience kind of like a North Star to follow, otherwise they can get lost. You almost end up in a Da Vinci Code kind of situation where you know, you trust nobody and then it stops me making any sense uh, whatsoever because there's no way to follow who's true and who's false. So, I just uh, like, but I still... Uh, I, just, I was just going to say, I just like that uh, in The Mandalorian we got Chubbs and in this one we've got Shooter McGavin. So... Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, the Freda, to your point, I don't think we have a clear direction of what that will be, though, what the North Star is. I mean, like, you can kind of trust Nick Fury, maybe. Um, and you, maybe. Um, beyond that, there's not. There's not really. There's not even an objective, really. Um, if you take out the leader of this group of terrorists, are you good? I mean, I, I yeah. again, like he may. He may be a pawn. Uh, according to that that theory that was presented so like i don't even think that we have a clear direction of what we should be rooting for or who we should be rooting for yet um so they're going to need to establish that even, at some point you even thought that amelia clark's character was going to you know go back to being good really here quick and then it was like nope Nope. Well, that yeah. might be it. it, it I mean, right she now, might still, she might two, still, but two episodes then, like it, reconciliation between father and daughter. I mean, I think like that might be my biggest personal rooting interest right now. Um, other than Nick Fury, don't die, because um, I like him, but I, that's I, where I'm at. I will say that the the premise of and again this is not my original I my original thought I agree with it I think it came from either new rock stars or screen crush they said find it a little hard to believe that of all the planets in you know out there that they could not find one that worked for the scrolls and so all right we're just going to go back to you know, earth and just take it over. It's like, you know, or, you know, or maybe, maybe Captain Marvel and, you know, Carol Danvers and Nick Fury just, you know, stopped 
looking. And maybe that, maybe we're, it's going to come into some of the end game stuff, you know, where it's like, first of all, you, well, first of all, you had the blip and then you had, you know, Captain Marvel. Obviously. I got to, I got to deal with all these other things that are going on because everybody lost their population and Nick Fury was having an emotional breakdown. And so the scrolls are now are like, well, we, what you, you guys ditched us. So I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And the, you know, um, so yeah. Uh, but to, just to follow up on Dave's point, because uh, uh, it's interesting that they're giving Nick Fury the I'm too old for the lead, uh mindset in this story. You know, they're, they're leaning into his age, they're leaning into his mortality. That whole conversation between him and Rhodey was all about, you know, you've been away and you've dealt with a lot and this might be beyond you. So I hate to say it, but could they be setting up for a point where in order to for to succeed, Nick Fury has to die? Now, we saw Nick Fury at the trailer for the Marvels. Yeah. Is that him? Is that Talos? So it, it, it creates an interesting dynamic where you could technically speak kill, quote unquote, uh, or uh, uh, Nick Fury, but he's still in the MCU. And the thing we haven't talked about yet, though, is that their ultimate, you know, that they've got an evil doctor who is trying to create a super scroll and they're using like some of I, what, what is we saw on the display Groot and who, uh, I mean, they're trying to, um, so it stands to reason that there was a scroll kind of amongst the Avengers. If, if they have some of this, if I'm, if I'm, reading it right you know dna from you know these superheroes um so because that's and that's one of the interesting aspects the super scroll for non-comic aficionados was a a version of the scroll that had all the powers of the fantastic four now the fantastic four don't exist in the mcu yet so it makes it interesting to wonder whose powers they're going to be borrowing for this version of the super scroll that is a fun question and maybe we'll get a fun answer yeah. can you imagine they got thor and Groot and uh captain marvel you know well the characters have been hanging when, out. when they show the little monitor with Groot showing up on the monitor you know like there were i can't even remember who all showed up Groot was on the monitor um I don't know. Somebody's probably screen grabbed all that. That was the one that jumped out of me, though, because I was like, yeah, I saw, I saw Groot. Uh, anyway, yeah. Huh? <laughs> but anyway, looks like Fredo's doing some quick. That's thinking. where we're headed. But anyway, well, yeah. So no, two episodes in. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. Again, I think Marvel is doing a wonderful job with their Disney Plus series. I mean, this one is, I knew nothing really going in, um, and they've got me hooked. Um, and you really, again, you really don't need all of the, if, if this is your first thing that you're coming to see, you really don't, the, all the backstory and intrigue and everything is interesting. But if you've got the premise that you have these shapeshifters that, you know, or need a place to live, I think you can enjoy this show. So 
So just real quick, I did Google who the characters were that were on that screen grab. So yeah, first one was Groot. Second one was the Frost Beast from Thor The Dark World. Remember the monster that ended in the post credit scene that's left stranded on Earth? Third one is Cull Obsidian, who was the big guy, the big heavy out of the uh, Children of Thanos, the guy who lost his arm when mm -hmm. uh, Wong closed the portal. Mm. And then the last one is Extremis, which were the fire-breathing Iron Man 3 villains. That's right, yeah. So mm -hmm. you could have somebody, you could have a dynamic where the Super Scroll can stretch out like Groot, you know, tough like uh, the Cold Obsidian, and then shoot fire and ice like the other two. <laughs> so an approximation of Fantastic Four powers without actually being the Fantastic Four. There you go, yeah. So if you haven't heard yet, the fireworks have started in my neighborhood and Karen is now yelling at the, at the neighborhood. So, um, this might be a good place for us to <laughs> leave the conversation. Jack, um, Jack. So, uh, we'll be back next week with more, probably we'll talk a little bit more secret invasion, but we got more star Wars talk. Um, but hopefully everybody has a wonderful holiday, um, and make sure that all of your, uh, digits and appendages you know stay in one place and stay cool so until then we will say who dat who dat who dat everybody have a great week